Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arder. Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, we welcome back Paul Padilla to the show. Now, we actually recorded this a little while ago. We recorded this on New Year's Eve. And during the course of the show, right when Paul starts to do the synopsis of the show, is when the news broke of the death of Betty White. So you're going to hear us react to that in real time. And uh, just wanted to prepare you for this weird time warp where uh, it's been a while. This is kind of old news at this point. But anyway, before we get started with the show, though, we have some new Tutti Fruities that I need to welcome. First of all, I want to welcome James E. Here's your shout out, James E. Hi, James. And there's also a new Tutti Frutti named simply Joy. Thank you, Joy. You bring me joy. They are two new Patreon supporters. You can support the show through Patreon yourself. And at the $3 a month level, you get additional monthly podcasts and other fun extra stuff. Uh, That's all information available in the show notes and on the episode's webpage. And uh, whether or not you choose to join... Please, let's take a moment to welcome James and Joy to the family. Also, I want to send out a special holiday thank you to Brian F., who's been a Tutti Frutti for a very long time, but he also sent me a little extra something as a Christmas gift, and I so appreciate the support, Brian. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. So, moving on to this week's show, Paul Padilla joins me and Matthew in discussing Season 8, Episode 9, called Fast Food, which had an original air date of November 29th, 1986. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Paul Padilla. Welcome back, Paul Padilla. Hi. Hi, how are you? Excellent. Haven't uh, talked to you since August. It's been several months. Yeah, I don't even know when the last time is. I'm glad you keep track of it. But yes, it's so good to be back with both of you. You were last here for one of Matthew's most favorite episodes, Christmas Baby, when Monica had her baby on Christmas, her, her two-month pregnancy. Wasn't that one of your favorites, Matthew? Um, it was my favorite, one of my favorites because Fudge was in it. <laughs> Marge, Marge to say, is that what you meant to say? No, I meant to say Fudge. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, we are not talking about Christmas baby or short gestation periods. Oh no, we have got some serious, uh, stuff to talk about with this. And, uh, this episode is season eight, episode nine called Fast Food had an original air date of November 29th of 1986. And uh, Paul, when I approached you about which episodes you might favor for the season, you said specifically this one. Why don't you talk about why? 
Well, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I am insanely a fan of Mexican food. And everybody that knows me, all my friends, all my past boyfriends, everyone, they just know like four times a week, I'm at a Mexican restaurant, you know? Well, it is uh, the food of your people. It is the food of my people. But I mean, I when, when Chewy's opened up in uh, Florida, I remember, because Chewy's was a big place here in, in Texas near me. And uh, in my apartment in Orlando, or in Kissimmee, they uh, near Disney, they 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 built one a couple blocks from my house. And I called my mom and I said, Mom, I've got good news and bad news. And she goes, what's the good news? And I said, they're building a Chewy's like two blocks from my house. She goes, well, what's the bad news? And I said, they're building a Chewy's two blocks from my house. So I'm <laughs> 10 pounds. So, so, and I went so much that uh, I was even invited to like the bartender's wedding. You know what I mean? That's just, that's just. Oh, wow. You were like the norm of Chewy. Yes, I was. I was. If ever there's a Mexican restaurant near me. And, uh, but the other special reason that I like this episode is because it was one of my grandmother's favorite episodes because I would make her watch Facts of Life with me on Saturday nights. And, you know, English was not her first language. She spoke English, but Spanish was her first language. And I just remember specifically the parts that she laughed at and the parts that she liked. And so ah. that's kind of, she just loved this episode because it was Mexican themed and things like that. So I figured, why not? Let's, let's do this one. We've talked about your grandmother, how much she loved John Long Silvers. She did. You have a great memory, David. I don't remember. Well, it's just so funny you, you, when you say with the accent that she's like, you, you go to John Long Silvers. And she loved their chicken specifically. I'm like, okay. The, <laughs> that's so funny. Okay, yes. kids. Are we ready to tackle this, this gem here? This, oof, this, um, this yeah. wonderful, wonderful episode. This, this glowing uh, example of 1980s sitcomness written by your friend and mine, Michael Maurer. We remember who Michael Maurer is. This is his fifth of six episodes that he would write for the show. Most recently, he wrote Another Room a few weeks ago, and he's the one that's the cartoon guy, the cartoon writer who did come back to the truck stop, Natalie Green, Natalie Green. He wrote Mrs. Garrett's nightmare funeral sequence uh, in her last episode when she was deciding whether to go off and marry Bruce. So uh, I have to say, this is probably the most grounded of all the episodes Mr. Moorer has written. It doesn't have uh, any particularly broad cartoonish components to it. Do you agree or am I forgetting something? No, I agree, I agree. Mm -hmm. I actually like this episode. Like I've watched it many, many times, not just because of the, the taco bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not just because it's food porn. Yeah. Um, so Mr. Morer also was a story editor this season. And actually he started at the show last season and uh, is listed as a story editor for every episode this season. So it's a total of 34 episodes, which is no slouch. Uh, so he is definitely in the writer's room. Uh, at all times, but this was uh, one that he wrote supposedly on his own. Uh, the episode, uh, another weird one, uh, uh, Marion Deaton is the director, not John Boab. This is, I think, one of three or four that John Boab did not direct this season, and this is the first time Marion Deaton has directed this, the first of three. Um, it's really interesting because uh, she'll also direct Rites of Passage Part One later this season. And then the third one she does is The First Time next season, which is the Natalie losing her virginity episode. 
And uh, the other thing about Marion Deaton that is of note is she doesn't have that many other directing credits, but she has been an associate director for this show since the beginning of season six. And she will continue to be so all the way to the end of the series uh, on 92 episodes, which is almost half of the facts of life. So Marion Deaton is still a, a creative voice in the show, even though she hasn't been the actual director per se. And then after this, she would go on and uh, associate direct Carol and Company, Martin, Malcolm and Eddie, Reba, Melissa and Joey, and that would start her on a different path of doing a lot of kids series. And most recently, since 2018, she has been associate director for The Neighborhood, which is a show I've never heard of, but it's now in the midst of its fourth season. It's on CBS. It stars Cedric the Entertainer and Max Greenfield from New Girl. And I'm just like, like there's too much content out there. If for every time I see an ad for a TV show when I turn on Hulu and I'm like, never heard of this. And it's like now streaming season seven. And I'm like, wait, what? But Annie Hoosel, those are your nuts and bolts. And uh, Paul, this is your 12th appearance on the podcast. Really? Your 12th time. That's a dozen. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, that is the most of any guest other than, of course, the wonderful human being on the Zoom call with us. Matthew has the most appearances on the show as, as again, or even before uh, co-hosting. Paul Padilla, now is the time in every show. And you might be exempt this time because you know in past I have forgotten to subject you to this torture, but I did not forget. Yeah. This is the point where we like to put our guest on the spot and demand, no, require that you provide a one to two sentence synopsis of the entire episode, similar to a listing you might find in a TV guide. Go. Hilarity ensues. I always started with that, like that. Hilarity Do ensues it. when hilarity ensues when Blair is forced to put her nose to the grindstone against oh no are you sure that's not a that no that has to be a hoax no it's not oh no betty white dead at night um we are sad maybe we should all go put on our golden girl shirts <laughs> that sucks it sucks damn mm. Oh, wow. She was 99, you guys. I, I mean, you know, we knew this day would come, but she was on. They made such a big deal about the 100. They made it them. look and they used pictures from 20 years ago of her. <laughs> None of us have seen her in public in at least five years. So it's not like she was Sue Ann Niven sitting at home at, a, at 99. Bless her heart. She's bless her heart. Yeah, she's OK. He, when she hosted SNL, when at that point she was only, what, in her 80s? Yeah. I mean, you saw when she came through the door and came down the stairs to walk and do the monologue at the beginning, even then, the way she was moving, it was like, oh, bless. Yeah. Yeah, that was like that real slap in your face, like, oh, she, she is aging. She is not going to live forever, much as we perceive that she will. Yeah. The last time I saw her do a speech or something at an award show, I could kind of see like, oh, yeah, it's you know, we're starting yeah. to get there. We're starting to get there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, R.I.P. Betty White and Happy New Year. Well, honestly, at least it happened today. We can say that's another thing under the umbrella of 
all right, 2021, Done. good riddance. Done. And it would have been worse if it had been tomorrow to start off the new year. And there'll be lots of retrospectives tomorrow so we can get a break from the Rona on the news for maybe 24 hours. And that's damn straight. Uh, yes. There. So you were saying, Paul, hilarity ensues, dot, dot, dot. Hilarity ensues when Blair is forced to put her nose to the grindstone alongside her new boss, Natalie. Very nice. Nah. Very well done. Yes. I'm Does that get on. the Matthew Arder seal of approval? <laughs> yeah, right. I, all I wrote was Mackenzie asks and can't reach the top shelf in the kitchen. That's all I got out of it. <laughs> and I also and wrote down for some reason, Joe screams across the restaurant trying to get a hold of Blair's taco. <laughs> Bravo, sir. There it is. Uh, for those who aren't sure what uh, to what Matthew refers about Andy reaching a top shelf, that little scene is eliminated from the syndication version and therefore you do not see it if you watch the daily motion you have to have the full length dvd version or they have to start streaming maybe oh maybe some of the episodes will appear uh, on january 1st back on um pluto maybe pluto will start putting up a few of the seasons again with the new month fingers crossed i don't care if it shows up on streaming because my dear friend david gave me the dvds for christmas mm. he's such a nice guy ain't he well, he had to verify that I didn't have oh, them. Nice. He had to, he had to make sure that <laughs> he had to ask Google if I had them, or maybe I was lying <laughs> about not having them. Yes, do you? Like a freak, I still have VHSs of when they aired on Saturdays, and I mean, like when the VHS came out, I would do them every, I would record them every week, so they're in order with the. Oh wow! Yeah, and uh, good for you. I mean, I won't ever see them again because I don't have a video. VHS recorder or anything, but you know, but they're there, you know. Wow, yeah. that's cool. I haven't been able. You can get a machine that'll convert them, but Dude, you know, that's a lot of work for. Yeah. I mean, and to be honest, if I were to watch them, it would just be for the commercials, and I paused all the commercials, so I didn't. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have that, you know. But yeah. All right, are we ready to start dissecting this microscopically, ladies and gentlemen? Step one out of the gate. I hate Tootie's hair so much. Uh, I hate Tootie's hair. Uh, it is an onslaught. It's like a bell or like a ball. In the, yeah. It's clearly been set in rollers and they didn't brush through it. They like left the, the rows of rollers intentionally, which was a look. But then she's got this sort of general roller hair look around it. And then this extra layer at the back, this yeah. little extra mullet. Yeah. Uh, back bangs yeah. and if, if and I it's remember, like and if i remember correctly she loves denim in this right isn't she like full-on denim like denim pants, oh as, as wash pants as in wash shirt i don't remember but no in the last episode so. the first note i have is tootie's hair i hate it last <laughs> note, the last note i have for this whole episode is jesus christ here comes tootie in a fucking hat and a scarf get the fuck out tootie those <laughs> are my first and last notes i'm sorry <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's not a good hair episode for Tootie. And there are some costuming questions that we are going to need to put out there. In spite of our close personal friendship with the costumer, Diana Eden, there are some questions. Matthew is nodding in agreement. So 
But we actually start in the living room. First thing, Tootie and Beverly Ann come in from shopping and they're in the middle of a conversation where Tootie is basically getting after Beverly Ann about it being time for her to get back out there. That after her split from Frank, you know, it, she should go out with somebody. And uh, what she's really leaning towards is Tootie wants to fix her up with one of her professors. And Beverly Ann is resistant. Andy does not play a very large role in the show, but what little he does have to do, he's helping them bring in the groceries. And they say, Andy, uh, take that heavy bag into the kitchen. And he has the line, yep, that's the price you pay for being a ladies' man. But does that happen? Like, at first I'm like, uh, she comes in with this energy that if I were Beverly Ann, I would have been like, take it down a couple. Like, I get it, it's the start of the show. But like right at the very beginning, we're getting the fact that she's in the middle of a conversation and we get, but Beverly Ann, you have to go on. Get the fuck. I need about 10% of what you're giving me, Toots. I need about 10%. <laughs> Good luck with that one. Especially when someone is resistant to what you're talking, and then to push that hard. And does please. that happen? Like a student comes up to a professor and is like, I have somebody that you'd be interested in. As the professor, that's immediately like, this is where our professional relationship begins, where I tell you to go back to your seat, young lady. Like- yeah. <laughs> and sight unseen. It's not like she had a Polaroid to show him because when he does show up, he looks and says, and you must be Beverly Ann. And it's like, well, good thing they got along. Good thing neither of them is unattractive. It's like, whew. I mean, granted, 2D is like, well, of course, it's because I'm a fucking amazing matchmaker. But it's like, are you, 2D? Anyway, uh, so after they leave, Blair and Joe come into the room and Blair has got a dilemma. Blair has to get a job. Otherwise, she won't pass one of her business courses. Who wants to say it? Who wants to say it? I'll let you. You have a job running a business. Thank you. Or as as David always says, that cracks me up, running a Spencer's gifts. (laughs) Yes. I saw one at my first mall in like almost 20 years, David, and there was a Spencer's gift and I giggled because I was thought that I always think of you saying, well, then they decided to open a Spencer's gift. (laughs) (laughs) And they have changed since. I mean, they're very, the the walls are very dark. The lighting is very intense. And there's a lot more emphasis on lingerie and sex toys. It's like, wow. Wow. All right. but yeah, she has a job and yet she has to get a job. And it's not the, okay. So she's got a list of businesses with whom she can work that are apparently affiliated with the school of business that will give her credit. It's kind of like, I guess, a sort of internship or whatever, but what, a, a service job, a, a service, like at the end of the episode, she ends up alluding to the fact that she's like going to be a clerk at a store like working retail and and in this in this case later in the episode what she gets is she basically gets a a server food service job and it's like this is the experience that her college level business course required and demanded otherwise she would fail both the course and not get her degree really 1980s sitcom writing really 
Matthew, did you have any notes about her outfit? Because as a little gay boy, I thought it was fabulous. Again, she walked on stage and she's just breathtakingly beautiful. She's just, I love her hair right now. I love Mm -hmm. her. I just, I can't, again, bravo, Lisa Welchel. You're just. Yep. Um, So Blair is, of course, being Blair and none of the businesses are good enough for her. So she's like, well, I can't work there. I can't do this. I'm then, then, then. And she's also put it off to the last minute as Joe, her wife, is pointing out to her. Well, while they're still having this bit of a issue, phone rings, it's Tootie's sociology professor. Now, at this point, we don't know that Tootie is trying to fix up Beverly Ann. She was just broaching the subject with her. But uh, the man calls and asks for Beverly Ann. So Beverly Ann gets on the phone and she's like, wait, who is this? And what what is this regarding? And Tootie's like, oh, oh, it's my sociology professor. Yeah, he's going to ask you out. Say yes, go out with him. And Beverly Ann's like, what? So they have him on hold. Uh, they argue a lot. She does say, I hope you're not making a toll call. <laughs> Very 1980s. And then when she says, oh, so you, you actually want to ask me out on a date tonight? Sure, why not? And even she kind of hangs up and says, I I didn't really expect to say yes, but I just, oh, why the hell not? So, uh, I noticed though for you, um, David, at some point, Joe called her Bev. I noticed that too. Yeah. I think it was something like way to play hard to get Bev or something like that. Yeah. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Not this Beverly Ann shit. I thought you'd be happy about that. But then Tootie says again, and I get it. Three camera comedy is very different than what we're used to today with shows like the office or uh so it does have to be more broad it does have to be bigger but the whole like them tugging against the phone and everything and and hiding just i was like oh tootie oh tootie (laughs) she needed a good mrs garrett tootie right there (laughs) this again. So then the little bit that is missing here that Matthew was alluding to earlier is that Andy comes back into the room and uh, he says, okay, Beverly Ann, the groceries are all put away, but he's got a box of Nilla wafers that he is chomping away and eating at. And Beverly Ann looks at the box cookies and said, did any of them make it to the cupboard? And he says, the ones I could reach. Ha <laughs> ha! Really, really struggling to find a couple of lines for him to have him be present in the episode. Uh, but um, I'm, I'm going to say it. Having Andy is better than not having Andy in any of these shows. So then Natalie comes downstairs. We haven't seen Natalie yet. And she says, if snake calls, tell him I'm at work. I'm at Senor Sombreros. And we, we've, you know, we introduced the idea of snake uh, a few weeks ago, and he has been mentioned in passing uh, two or three times at this point. I think this is the second or third time since the initial I like this guy named Snake, which was um, that was in the Ready or Not episode when Tootie was considering losing her virginita. Uh, how interesting that Snake will be the one we know Natalie decides to do it with. Uh, so uh, anyway, as Natalie mentions, Senor Sombreros, Joe's like, hey, hey, that place is on the list of places you could work. Maybe Natalie could help you get a job there. And then it's all taken care of. And Natalie's like, uh, no, this is my first management position. Not going to do it. And Blair 
kind of, you know, does a please, please sort of a Blair Warner routine. And uh, Natalie does acquiesce and she says, but you better be prepared to work, meaning you can't be your normal lazy ass Blair like you are in the store where we're also supposed to both have jobs and work and derive some income from. Well, and Natalie says to me, this is job is survival. Yeah. You run a business. <laughs> yes. I had that several times during my fucking notes here, just out of nowhere. I just have in all capital letters. You run a business. And now I don't know what that is in reference to, but it's about four more times. I'm going to be saying that. Yeah. No, I echo that. I applaud it. And I could not agree more how often they just seem to forget that the business exists at all. Because by the way, who is minding the store right now? We have Blair and Joe. We have Natalie passing through to go to her work. Beverly Ann's getting the groceries with two Andy's. Who is minding the store? Maybe if they opened the store, they wouldn't have to get other jobs, you know, to actually, you know, nobody's in there. Yeah, that's why they have to get other jobs. The store ain't making no money because they're never open. Jeez. So our next scene goes to Senor Sombreros. And first thing out the gate, this manager guy, Mr. Simmons, is complaining to Natalie that she put a little more than four ounces of beans on that burrito. And of course, that's cutting into the bottom line. So we're we're very early establishing that she's got a dick for a manager who is a penny pincher. After he leaves the room, she eats one chip out of a basket. And from the other room behind the closed door, you hear him go, I heard that. And he says, I mean, that's such a weird, I think he says like an extra ounce of beans is four cents. I thought, what's such a weird number? Four cents. Yeah. Like, not five. But they're just trying to set him up as fastidious as by the book as all that. Uh, the actor playing Mr. Simmons is Alan Blumenfeld. Uh, this episode is full of very decorated, experienced, and uh, castable guest stars. Uh, because this is the first of several. Alan Blumenfeld has 187 credits on his IMDb page since 1983, and he's still alive, he's still working, and most of them are one-offs, but he does have a few multiple episode stints on Family Ties, Life Goes On, Murder One, and Heroes, among many others. You're not going to mention the one that most people know him from. What do most people know him from? David. Uh oh, shit. What did I forget? He was Mr. Ha Ha from Mr. Ha Ha's Hot Dog Hacienda on the Golden Girls when. Oh, Jesus Christ. They took Dorothy to that kid's joint. For, that's, for right. Her. that's right. He's hilarious in that one. And he says to her when she threatens to hit him or something, he says, just so you know, Mr. Piano Player, his brother is Mr. Lawyer. And he's so funny in it. But he also was on an episode of The Golden Girls where he played Lou, the toilet delivery guy. So before he does leave, though, Natalie does say to Mr. Uh, Simmons that we do have an applicant coming in today for the student trainee program. And his response is, if they're breathing, hire them. So clearly he needs manpower. We're going through something similar in our society right now where uh, the service industry is definitely at a deficit and in need of bodies and competent people. So things are really tough for him to the point that he'd say, 
hire whoever do not care. David, the, the service industry is not in need of capable, intelligent people. The service industry is in need of paying people what they're worth. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to get my social justice warrior in there because um, this is not the fault. There's no labor shortage. There's a greed yeah. abundance. Yeah. So. Nope. You are you are totally right. I I I would agree. So then Blair comes in and we get one of those great TV tropes of, well, I have to do it by the book. So Blair, you have to fill out this application. So Natalie picks up the clipboard and the thing and goes, name. And Blair's like, you know my fucking name. She goes, address. She's like, Natalie, I'm going to punch you right now. And then Natalie says, have you been sexually active lately? And Blair goes, what? Is that on the application? And Natalie goes, no, but I just thought I'd ask. And then, it's like, what? And that's where you cue my grandmother, second language English, is cracking up. And I'm like, so shocked. Oh. I even got that joke that she even, you know, she started laughing. As soon as she said, no, but I thought I'd ask. And every time I hear that delivery from Mindy Cohen, I always think of my grandmother cracking up. Because I was like, how does she know what they're talking about? But she did. Paul, yeah. you're surprised that your grandmother got a sex joke. You're here because your grandmother had sex. Well, I know, but I mean, I mean, from like, she, she didn't speak a lot of English. So, you know, the fact that she just got the delivery and got, you know, I mean, a, a, a lot of times the Mexican grandmothers, you know, they, they did speak it, but they didn't want sometimes like my dad's mom didn't want to speak it because then people would start talking to her, asking her questions. You know, she was kind of timid about that. She didn't want to at the grocery store she didn't want to talk to people but somebody came to the door you know i think i told you the story before i might have not i was at i was like little kid and my grandmother would always pretend that she didn't speak really didn't speak english so that she wouldn't have to talk to the the, the, the jehovah's witnesses or whatever or whoever comes you know uh and uh, i was this little kid and i think i might have told you but i remember hiding behind her and just looking at at the, the woman talking to my grandmother and she, my grandma's like you know sorry you know no no you know speak whatever and uh the woman the, she saw me peeking behind my grandmother and she bent over down to me she goes do you love jehovah and i said no i love wonder woman and then i hid back behind my grandmother's butt <laughs> 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 that one that my grandmother always remembers she always tells that story <laughs> like, no i love wonder woman <laughs> You chose the right religion at a very, very young age. She would tell that story in Spanish to other people, but it was hilarious. Ah, (laughs) That's amazing. Our viewers, our listeners might recognize Paul's grandmother as um, the maid on Family Guy. No. (laughs) Consuela? No. I've never seen Family Guy, so I don't know what that means, but... uh... Haven't you ever heard the... No. Mr. Superman is no home. No. 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 I have no money. No. And no, we just need you to sign this petition. Oh, no. I hear too clean. (laughs) And and it's a white dude doing the voice of a Latina woman. It is beyond inappropriate and fucking hilarious. I, I, you know, and I still to this day, I have a hard time watching animated things, series, whatever. And, you know, there are many people that's like, you have to watch Bob's Burgers. You have to watch to tell me all these things. But I just, it's not something that appeals to me. I like to see actors' faces, you know. Um, but yeah. so I don't know any any kind of animated show. The only reason I would see a Disney one is because you know a date would make me go or something. But you know, I, other than uh-huh. yes, we know Paul. You have dates. Well, not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore. Rub it in our face. This is my past. Yeah. So she's going over that application, and again, 
another reason why there is the quote-unquote labor shortage, the applicant must memorize these policies. Mm. Sounds like training. Before yeah. I'm even hired? No. Yeah. Sorry. Nope. <laughs> yeah. That other thing of uh, the interview, why do you want to work for our company? Because I need a fucking job. I don't give a shit about your company or any other company. I need a goddamn job. I need a place to go to do things that you pay me for. How do you not get that? I've always had a passion for driving and um, and delivering packages to people's houses. That's <laughs> Yeah, that's why I want to work for fucking Amazon. Why the fuck do you think? <laughs> exactly. And why is she giving out a state flag of Utah? That, well, that was yeah. my question to you guys. And they, and they never explained it. It's just a funny little tidbit, I guess. Right. They never explained. Yeah, it was a the, the, it was a running gag of, oh, and free with your every purchase or something. A little state flag of Utah. Nope. Didn't get it. Don't understand it. it is it like, because it's like Tex-Mex kind of? Is that like a Southwest? Is Utah famous for Mexican food that I was unaware of? I don't think so. I went to Utah and it was not, it was, yeah, it was not good. They put a black yeah. in my burrito and I freaked out. Now I like it. <laughs> anyway, Blair clearly thinks the job is going to be degrading. She is not impressed, but she still agrees to it. And the fact that Natalie is like, look, I can't go easy on you. This is my ass is on the line too here. So we we got to make sure we're clear about this. And Blair says, fine. Then we go back to the living room. Uh, Joe and Andy are there. Joe is preparing to study for a midterm. And then one of my favorite TV tropes, Tootie comes down, lady and gentleman. Ta-da! When you walk into a room and announce somebody that you already know, and the big purpose of this was to announce Beverly Ann, clearly now no longer the caterpillar, the butterfly has emerged from her cocoon. Cinderella is ready for the ball and down descends Beverly Ann from the stairs in a red potato sack dress with a woven belt at her hips. Very yeah. chic for 1986, though. That was very <laughs> was chic. It? Yes, it was. Was it? Yes. That's why people are like, ooh, the audience. But if you look at it now, you go, oh, that was definitely 1886. But that was that was that was like Santa yeah. Fe chic or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It's it's fascinating because so much of style and fashion, one would hope, is about flattering the human body and the human figure. And with all of the super oversized tops that were prevalent in the 80s, this is like the, the dress that takes that to the next level where the sleeves are, are just like the, the, there are bolts and bolts of fabric here and that it's cinched around the widest part of her body, her hips, it makes her look bigger than she is. We know Cloris Leachman is a very slender woman and this makes her look a little hefty. And, well, the oof. lower bell obviously was to make like your, your top part look taller and, and more. Yeah. But it, yeah. I wasn't mad at it, David. I was more mad that they put Blair in hot pink in a set that is full of oranges and reds. At the oh, Blair's, you mean her interview suit when yeah. she shows up in was, a fucking power suit to that's, her. That's the thing I thought you were going to have a problem with because I didn't think anything of Beverly Ann's dress. I thought she looked very chic for 1986. 
Well, I thought Blair's was perfect because it was fish out of water. And but it, it was should it, have been you know, blue or something. It was just that hot pink on a background full of oranges and reds and tans. I just would have preferred her in something that made her. She didn't blend in with the background, for Christ's sake. Oh, oh, I see what you mean. To set her apart versus just clash. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I wasn't mad at it. It had a sort of proto L Woods feeling about it, which I absolutely am. I am here for. Um, the one thing I will say is that in general, blondes look really good in red. Yes, that's do. a great color. Yes, you do, Matthew. Yes, yes, we do. I mean, yeah, because I'm already have a red face. So then it's just tragic. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, but the deal is, and I always, any TV, I mean, Farrah Fawcett in the bikini, anytime they really wanted to dress up Kim Cattrall on Sex in the City, it's like blondes wearing red. It's just, oh, usually it really does pop. And for that, I do applaud this because Beverly Ann has never worn such a vibrant color. She still is wearing this sort of rough and tumble frontiers woman kind of stuff. And uh, next time we have Diana Eden on the show, I do want to ask her. She has said that she had ideas for Beverly Ann and Cloris Leachman uh, heard the ideas and said, those are lovely. I have ideas too. And they're all the complete opposite of that. I want to hear specifically what were the words that were used to say Beverly Ann dresses XYZ, because I can't figure out the word to categorize it other than utilitarian again frontiers woman camping roughing it you see you know what i'm saying I not do. feminine definitely not feminine maybe that's what the ooh was about is i forget we really haven't seen her wearing anything particularly um flowy or skirty at this point um but uh yeah and then uh professor thompson arrives for the date and professor thompson is played by Veteran character actor Orson Bean. Bean, who's who's lovely, just lovely. He is lovely, and uh, he has so many credits. 106 credits in a 68-year career. When I was a kid, he was a talk show staple. He was one of those great raconteurs that was on The Tonight Show. He actually substitute hosted The Tonight Show in its earlier days for Johnny Carson. He was always on Merv Griffin. Uh, this is his first of three appearances as a love interest, possible love interest for Beverly Ann. Um, and he worked right up until his death in 2020 yep. at the age of 91. It was tragic though, right? It was. I had forgotten. I remember reading this at 91. He was still working. He still had his marbles about him. He was going to a theater where his wife was volunteering as an usher. He crossed the street, not using the sidewalk, the, the crosswalk, and he was hit by a car. Yeah. And then after he got hit by the car, another car came and hit him. He got hit by two cars. It's I'm not laughing. I'm I'm. Matthew's laughing, but I am, what, a way to, what a way for a comedian to go. Oh, that's the way to fucking go, though, isn't it? I mean, oh, it's like a scene in a movie, like hit by one and then, oh, I'm OK. I'm OK. Boom, 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 boom. 
I, no, I, I want the two combination chicken flounder plate. Like that's the way I should go. But, uh, oh, bless. But yeah, it is. It does sound like a punchline. That's like, oh, and so sad we lost him. He was 91. Oh, was it cancer? Nope, hit by a car. Two. It is. You get hit. Nope, hit by two cars. Yep. <laughs> it is. It's yeah. It's com- comically tragic, but you can't say struck down in the prime of his life. My God, he made it to 91. For those still trying to place who Orson Bean is, he was on 145 episodes of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman in the character of Lauren Bray. He was on 12 episodes of Normal Ohio in the year 2000. But probably one of his highest profile roles was in 23 episodes of Desperate Housewives. He was Roy Bender, the love interest of Mrs. McCluskey, played by the wonderful Catherine Joosten. Catherine Joosten, who started her career at Walt Disney World as a member of the Citizens of Hollywood. Yeah, I think Louis Gravance worked with her. So by extension, we've worked with Louis. So we have we have a four four degrees of separation to Orson Bean. Yeah, but he is delightful. He is 58 years old here. And uh, we know that Cloris Leachman is 60. They are well matched. They are a comely couple. And he is charming AF. Is. I I almost would have liked it if he had hung around a little more. I'm not sure what the next two episodes have with him, but uh, his introduction to us here was just like, oh, he's awesome. How lucky is she that she, you know, hit it off so well with this on their first date. So as they're deciding what to do for their date, Tootie suggests they go to a movie and then go to Senor Sombreros, which is right next to the movie theater. So, you know, my question for you guys, I think I know the answers, but like, the I was with talking. They suggest that they go to a movie and then to some Sombrero's some because it's open late, you know. And uh, and he's like, oh, both. That's crazy. Movie and dinner, you know. And I was just talking to my friend yesterday. We went to lunch. We hadn't seen each other in 13, 14 years. I don't even know how long. And we're just talking about how we've aged and everything we've gone through, you know. And and she was like, and I said, you know, like I'm at a different phase. I like I'm in bed by ten usually. I was like, and like. I can't go like to dinner and a movie. I have to do one or the other. And she was like, oh, oh bless. But I don't have the energy to go to dinner and a movie or the time. And it's just too much. Like, you know, for me, the big night, big, the big event is dinner or the big event is the movie, not both. So, you know, as you guys, David, I know that you're young and you don't drink and you're just always on the go. And, you know, Matthew, I have no idea if you, that's something that you think that you can do, but I can't. I can't do both. I'm sorry. I quit listening. Do oh. what? <laughs> dinner and a movie or just dinner or a movie can you go can you do dinner and a movie or is that like for paul is that too much for you to take on in one evening like anybody's asked me like, let's just put it like that like anybody's asked me okay uh, that's i'll cross that bridge when i get to it <laughs> gotcha yeah i can't do both but good for them for doing it Well, then we get to Blair actually at work and uh, she's not doing very well at it. Um, We do have a funny exchange here where uh, Natalie shows her how to make a taco from the, you know, bar of food behind the counter. And uh, then Natalie has to run to the other room. So Blair is left alone and in comes a trucker and she says, hello, sir. Can I interest you in a freshly made taco? And he's like, nah, I just had tacos. I'm in the mood for something else. Uh, Can I get a burrito? And Blair freezes. And taken out of syndication, he also asks for an enchilada, 
And Blair also freezes, smiles, looks wide-eyed, deer in the headlights. And he says, a tostada or a tamale? What do you have? And then she says, a nice fresh taco? Giggity. <laughs> so here's the thing. Children, uh, millennials, young people who might be listening to this podcast, for, for the two of you out there, I cannot stress to you enough that in the 80s, we did not have a Mexican restaurant on every street corner, that they were not as ubiquitous as they are now, both the chains and the individually owned restaurants, that we know that there have been times when Blair didn't know what a plunger was. There are times when, you know, they've like, here, Blair, have a paintbrush. She's like, what does this do? And I get infuriated that the TV show doesn't make Blair just rich. They make her a rich idiot. This is one where I was like going, yep, mm-hmm, yeah. People didn't know what a burrito was in the 80s. They didn't know it was basically the same contents of a taco wrapped in a bigger, softer uh, tortilla shell. It's, it is very interesting. Do you guys remember that? Or I guess, Paul, was it different for you? Because did you, did you have Mexican food at home? Well, yeah. My, you know, one thing my grandmother cooked for the entire family every day, Monday through Friday at 530, we would all go to my grandmother's house and eat dinner together. So I mean, 12 people, 13 people. And um, on the weekends, she took off. But during the week, every day, would people would get there at 530 to eat Monday through Friday. And I would always kind of, and I loved everything she made, but then at some point I realized that it was always the same ingredients though. It was, yep, your rice, your beans, your ground beef, your, your yeah, shredded chicken, yeah. Whether you had it inside an enchilada, which is a tortilla, whether you had it on a taco, which is a crispy tortilla, whether you had it on a tortilla, that's a taco, where the burrito, that's a, that's a taco. You know what I mean? It's all the yep. same. Deep fry it, it's a chimichanga. Prepared to <laughs> Yeah, I had a lot of Mexican food, which is probably why I love it so much now. Then, and even now, when I was watching this episode a couple days ago, I get hungry when she's making the taco. Like that's, oh. I love Mexican food that much that I was like, now I have to go get a taco because I watched that episode. So I love it. So yeah, yeah. Damn. Well, it's one of those reasons I don't eat at Taco Bell because I could order a burrito and if they gave me a tamale, I would not know the difference. <laughs> so I it's, it's the same a, ingredients you wouldn't it's a there was no difference. if I'm gonna get what I actually ordered from the person at the Taco Bell and it's also crapshoot I'm gonna know the difference or remember what I ordered by the time I get up there but I don't eat at Taco Bell but I was I lived in a world where there was always Taco Bell but I know what you mean like there were like two maybe specific Mexican restaurants in Fort Wayne but I mean I, I've lived in a world where there was always Taco Bell yeah, and now, I don't know that we had any, you know, like authentic family owned and operated Mexican restaurants. I don't know if we had them in Brockton. Like yeah, we did. Uh, that's weird. I have to look that up and see. I mean, I'm sure there are some today, but uh, if they were, they were just completely off the radar of of my family. But I can't and, believe, David, that you skipped over the training process of how to how she taught blair how to make a taco you just put your fingers in the meat you just put your <laughs> fingers in this you put your fingers in that you put your fingers in this and then you wrap it in a wax paper that's what, yeah that's what they did. some places i'm sure still do but yeah that's what that they, was the that was the 80s it's like there wasn't hand sanitizer nobody put gloves on and <laughs> also you had no employees 
working before Blair showed up. So Thank you. You were about to have this huge rush that you were going to be alone for, Natalie. Yeah. Lay off Blair a little bit. She's actually yeah. fucking helping you, you bitch. <laughs> It's yeah, it is. It is quite puzzling. And then we will get to this in, in just a few minutes here. And you don't exactly um, set her up for success. And if you want to make look good to your manager, wouldn't you want your employee that you just hired to look good? So like maybe help a little bit, Natalie, the, the yeah. assembly line later just gets ridiculous. And I'm like, how about you fucking stop taking orders for a second, Natalie? And do, anyway, sorry. Mm -hmm. And and introduce your new employee to the manager because that does not happen. Yeah. And then when the manager does show up and he happens to be standing on the outside of the counter, Blair presumes him to be another customer. And he shows up and happens to see her assembling the taco for this trucker dude. And of course she way overdoes it on the ingredients due to her inexperience. And we know he's gonna have a conniption over that. Uh, so then he starts asking her about it and she, <laughs> disparages the food, categorically criticizes the brown lettuce, this probably spoiled meat, and insults the manager. The trucker is like, he throws, thankfully he throws down money, is like, I lost my appetite. And so it's just like, girl, Blair, read the room, read the room. Did you look up the trucker, the, the wonderful Blake Clark, who most people... I did look up the wonderful Blake Clark. Tell me, tell me something about him that well, I might not know. I think, well, you probably know, but I think most of our listeners are familiar with him because he took over for the voice of Slinky Dog when Jim Varney died in Toy Story. Mm -hmm. Starting with Toy Story 3. And uh, he also played Harry the Hardware Store guy on Home Improvement. And uh, according to Wikipedia, he is also a stand-up comic. And another one of his better known roles is Chet Hunter on Boy Meets World, which I am not familiar with, but Blake Clark is still alive, still out there working, 118 credits since 1980. Uh, so good on him, great career and you know, great character actor. And another one of those faces you're like, oh yeah, I know I've seen this guy in something else. Can't tell you what it is. But I always remember how he said taco. Give me a taco. Whenever yeah. I whenever I hear his voice, whenever I see him in something else, I'm like, oh, that's the give me a taco guy. Yeah. Yep. Which was, interestingly is the same way Joe says it when she's uh in a frisky mood. Um no. So uh the manager is about to fire Blair when Natalie quickly shows up and intervenes and says, It uh, don't worry, I'll work with her. And he says, Okay, I'll let this one slide. But if she screws up one more time, she's history. And so are you. Um, Mr. Manager. Run the place. If you hire, if you fire both of them tonight, you're alone in the store, asshole. We went from if they're breathing, hire them to I'm ready to set the both of you free. And we never see him do a lick of work. He's not even there chipping in and helping during the rush that we see in the second act of this show where it's just like, ugh. yeah, we, we have issues with his management style. Let's just, let's just put it that way, shall we? So we are at the commercial break. Commercial break, Paul, you know, is when we like to interview our guests. And uh, normally I would skip over this part because you've been on the show so many times. We know everything there is to know about you. 
but we have something new that we can discuss. You are part of a new theatrical venture, and I believe it is called En Vivo Theatrical. Talk to us about uh, this thing. Well, I'm not just a part of it. I am it. <laughs> it's just me, really. Uh, but uh, yeah, I decided um, I've been thinking about doing this for a long time. Uh, when I uh, was working at Disney and working in Orlando, everybody had to hear me talk about it, all my friends and every one of the cast members about wanting to one day uh, start a production company, a uh, theatrical production company. I uh, decided to call it Vivo, which um, you know means alive and living and um, you know, uh, but because I come from a town, New Braunfels, Texas, which is a beautiful town, but it's a German town. And so everything has a Haas at the end of it, H-A-U-S. So it's like a, the plant Haas or the tobacco Haas or the quilting Haas. Mm -hmm. There's too many Haases, you know? And uh, <laughs> so I was like, forget it. I was, I wanted something Latin and vivo, um, love the font, love how it looks. Um, have a, really excited about all the different projects we have coming up this year. The very first one I decided to do though, was uh, the play Lombardi based on Vince Lombardi, the legendary football coach. He is who the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl trophy is named after. And oh, I, yeah. So, and I thought, you know, um, Texas and football, that would be a nice way for me to introduce the community to in vivo theatrical and then i can start hitting them with the things that i really want to do but this but actually it's a very interesting story you know he was a really interesting man it was on broadway a few years ago judith light was in it and uh and she was she was great and um so yeah so we're still we're starting uh, rehearsals for that tomorrow um and it's really great we have this beautiful venue called the brontex at 600 seat theater and we're it's running the, the what now LeBron Tex, so I'm from New Braunfels, so it's a 600 seat, like the, you know, New Braun Tex, okay. And, uh, and so yeah, we're really excited. We have the, um, it's, we're only per having three performances, but it's the weekend before the Super Bowl. I was able to acquire the rights and there's no football on TV uh, that weekend. <laughs> it's gonna pack them in. We've got um, really excited to get the communities involved. We have the high schools are coming to do the pep rallies uh, before the show, pre-show. So one day is New Braunfels High School, the other day is Canyon High School. And so they get $4 per ticket. So anyway, it's gonna be a great way to introduce the community. So I'm excited to get started with our inaugural production of Lombardi. And that's- Look at you fulfilling a lifelong dream and becoming a theatrical impresario as it were. Everybody's very excited for me because I've been talking about it for so long. I believe it was more like, Thank God you're finally doing this so we can stop hearing about you want to do this, you know, so <laughs> so I think it was more relief than it was anything. But uh, but yeah, we're very excited. Well, that's wonderful. And as you start producing more theater, uh, catering to the Latinx community, uh, Matthew and I are available. All you need to do is house us, meet our fee. We are offer only. We will not audition. And we would love to work with you. There's a play, the play I want to do called American Mariachi about an all-female mariachi band. I think you guys should come. <laughs> okay. Oh, Matthew just uh, went and grabbed his Emmy. He's he's doing a Shelly Winters right now. He's <laughs> plopping down his Emmy going, some people in this business think I can act. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm not really doing it to make money. You know, to be honest, it's uh, it's I was, it's an experience I want to bring to the community. I'm not... The, the, the venues that I like, it's a very small, very small, like speakeasy type place. And so, you know, it's just this is something to just kind of give back that we can do in between the big productions. So I never want it to be a big room. You know, I want it to be When you do Lacage, you'll be happy to call me. Well, I loved you in Lacage. I saw you in Lacage. The very first time I met you, I told you that I loved you in Lacage. So absolutely.
You're mm -hmm. hired. Us. I would be a magnificent George. It's always nice to talk to a fan. Yes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It would be a fantastic combination. I would watch that in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. Apparently, pay for We're it. here for it. We're here for it. So congratulations on that. I wish you the best. I can't wait to see the future successes and see a lot of posts on the face place and other social medias about it. And uh, tens of listeners out there and Vivo Theatrical, they are on social media. You can follow them, him, it, and uh, uh, keep up with what Paul is up to with his own production company. Thanks, everybody. But Paul Padilla, enough about you. We have to get back to this dilemma ma, 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 of Blair having to work. Whoa, how wacky. Now, there is a scene missing from syndication at the beginning of Act Two of this episode. And it's where Tootie and Joe are at the house. Tootie is being annoying and interrupting Joe, who is trying to study in silence. Tootie is all, the movie's probably out now. I think they're probably at dinner now. How do you think the date's going? And finally, Joe is like, shut up or I'm going to punch you in the face. I'm paraphrasing. And then finally, Judy says, let's go to Senor Sombreros and we can check on them. And Joe says, uh, or we could not spy on them. And Judy says, and we could see Blair wearing a uniform and a big Mexican sombrero. And Joe is like, I'm in, let's do it. So off they go. Uh, and that is not in the syndicated version. The syndicated version comes back from commercial at the restaurant where Natalie is complaining to Blair that things are not going well and she needs to do better. And then this old woman customer comes in. Uh, again, another decorated, very well-used and recognizable actress. Meg Wiley is her name. The role is called Mrs. Webster. Uh, and by the way, all of these guys, this is their own only appearance on the Facts of Life. So Alan Blumenfeld as Mr. Simmons, Blake Clark as the trucker, and Meg Wiley as Mrs. Webster. These are all one-offs. We won't see them again in these roles or other roles. Uh, Meg Wiley, according to Wikipedia, best known for the role of Mrs. Kissel in The Travels of Jamie McFeeters. Yeah. Matthew, my question to you is that is she the um, the Golden Girls, the the luggage cart, the bolt? When they're is she that her? Thank you for asking, Paul Padilla. Um, she made four appearances on the Golden Girls. Oh, I want to hear about all of them. Please. Four different characters. <clears throat> she was yes. Candy, the flight attendant, on the episode where Blanche faces her fear of flying, <laughs> and she finds herself on a plane full of bald men. And Candy gets on the thing and says, "If anyone sees a missing bolt, it it goes on the on the beverage cart. Yeah, the beverage cart." <laughs> She was also Edna, one of Sophia's co-workers, when they went on strike at Pecos Pete's Chow Wagon. Um, Myra, the woman who was terrorizing Rose in the episode where Dorothy's going to marry Stan again because Rose went on a date with her ex-husband. Um, and then, which also starred guest star Debbie Reynolds as the new potential roommate when Dorothy was going to move out. And oh. bitch, Debbie Reynolds is playing to the back of the third row in the fourth balcony in the theater next door. My God. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> there, were they thinking they were going to replace her with? I mean, no, what? she was just a, an extra guest star. Like, that was the storyline. She was going to be the new roommate. Yeah. Okay. 
And then the other one that you might remember, Blanche had a boyfriend named Jerry Kennedy, the local TV anchor, whose mm-hmm. overbearing mother was played by this wonderful actress. Um, so yeah, she's she's got a range of playing old woman. I didn't realize it yeah. before, but you're right. Four episodes. I remember Jamie Kennedy and I remember the both. But yeah, the other ones, you're right. You're right. I remember a lot of those plot points, but I do not remember her specifically on the show. Uh, she does have on IMDb 127 credits in a 43-year career. Bravissima bitch. Yes. And speaking of bitch, she starts off as the sweet little old lady client and slowly becomes more and more difficult. And Blair, even though Blair owns her own retail establishment, somehow does not have any customer service skills, even after knowing that Natalie's ass is on the line too, that she's going to flunk and not be able to graduate college. Blair cannot get it together to just suck it up and be nice to a demanding customer. So we do have uh, Beverly Ann and Mr. What's-His-Name, the professor, uh, and Marianne coming in from their movie date, and they sit down shortly after that. Tootie and Joe come in with the big crowd. So now there's this big rush. And according to Natalie, oh, yeah, this happens every night when the movie theater gets out. So if Natalie knows this, that means the manager would know it, but the manager didn't seem to care. As you said before, Matthew, it's like, who the fuck is going to wait on all the people? You need these girls, you dumbass. (sighs) So the great comedy scene between two comedy geniuses. Um, Cloris Leachman and Orson. Um, mm-hmm. But it just drives me crazy that he takes the water from the extra behind him and the extra guy is like, oh, okay, whatevs, all in a day. <laughs> it always bothered me. And then also, like, why they got to be black? There's a lot of white people around with, with they have cups too. Why did he go for the black person? Like, oh, wow. I'm not even going to ask. He's going to take the black person's drink. If it was a white person, you know, he would have asked. But anyway, why they got it? Well, but anyway. Okay. So Beverly Ann is dating a racist. We've, we've established that. Yes. But you know, but she Um, she bites into a a chip that has with salsa and it's so hot that she can't help. She's, she can't speak. And so he grabs the water, but that is the, that is the second time my grandmother cracked up when Cloris Leachman started her hot salsa can't, and my grandmother cracked up. So I always remember that. Yeah. I was like, oh, my grandma loves her. So yeah. Second time. Yeah, it was it was very funny, perfectly played. That's where you're seeing the comedy genius of uh, of Cloris Leachman. And he played a great straight man to it. And then um, caught from syndication, they do get in to talk about their respective divorces. It's a little more connection between the two characters. And it's really nice. And I hate that we lost this. Uh, He says, well, here we are uh, breaking rule number one about first dates is you should never talk about your ex. And here we are going on, both of us. And Beverly Ann says, oh, well, it's only natural. We spend half a lifetime with those people. And then he says, well, then maybe this isn't such a bad way to start the second half. And Beverly Ann, toasting him with a chip to a chip, says, to the second half. And you're just like, oh, this date's going very well. Damn. I've never had a date go that well on the first day, for Christ's sake. Anyway, um, and that includes my long-term relationships. Uh, So then uh, the old lady gets into this funny bit of, 
I need water. If I don't take my pills, I get faint. And she already asked for a substitution. And Natalie's like, you've got to pay for substitutions. And Blair's like, it's fine. We'll deal with it. And then the woman's like, oh, my food's cold because you took so long to get my water. And she's like, okay. And then she starts pretending to faint because she can't get this other meal and a substitution for free. And, And finally, Blair has had it. And she goes off on the old lady. And then that's when the manager gets involved and the old lady goes off on Blair and the manager fires Blair. Blair says, you can't fire me. I quit. And he turns to Natalie and says, you're fired too. The part that I liked was when uh, uh, as a kid, Natalie's serving up the food and Blair is just kind of looking at Beverly Ann and talking to Beverly Ann about the date and the food gets backed up, you know? Yeah. So, and uh, Natalie keeps hitting the the outgoing bell, you know, ding, ding, ding. And then finally she just hits it like three times and says, serve the damn food. When I was a kid, I just loved it because I heard the word damn come out of, you know, Natalie and it was just hilarious. And that's when my grandmother laughed the third time. But yeah, as a kid, I just thought it was so funny that she said damn and her delivery was so funny. And yeah, I loved, I loved, I loved that episode. Yeah. Mindy, Mindy's timing is just perfectly spot on. It is. It is. Yeah. And also uh, that scene, the whole added nuance of Joe, not help it, not shut up, Joe. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. You can see your wife is having a difficult time and you're just there being a bit. You're just there to be a bitch. Yeah. Like, hey, Warner, need some service over here. Shut up. You sit down yeah. and you shut up. Even yeah, study for your midterm that was so freaking important 25 minutes ago. Ugh. Yeah. Be a friend, Joe. Agreed. Agreed. And it's not like there was some score to settle. Like if she and Blair had had some type of a conflict that called for retaliation for Joe to be like that, maybe we could justify it. But no, not with what we were given in the first scene. So the next scene, the final scene of the show is at the dining room table in the house the next morning. Is it, is it the next morning or is it, has it been a couple of days? I always assumed it was the next morning, but who yeah. knows? I think it was too. So um, Blair looks amazing again. She does. Damn, she does. And so she says, Natalie, please, are you going to keep holding a grudge? And she's like, yeah, I've laid road tar. I've scaled smelt. And now I go and hire a friend and suddenly I'm a bag lady, I think is the line. And it's like, okay, we're, we've, we're leading hard into this. The whole her doing the road tar and scaling the smelt that was mentioned in the little chill. uh, Even though we actually never saw episodes where she did that. We know she was on the road crew and it's Snake's job to be the tar boy. But uh, that's okay. Snake's job to lay the road tar. But uh, we didn't know that Natalie had done it, but it's like, okay, there's there's consistency here in the inconsistency. I'll give it to him. It's the least of my issues with this episode. But just every time uh, you say it, it sounds like innuendo. It's Snake's the tar. job. It's Snake's job to lay the tar. <laughs> Oh, that's not till season nine, I believe. So uh, Natalie leaves still mad, but Blair says to Joe, everything's going to be fine because I called Mr. Simmons and he's going to give her her job back. 
Turns out she lied to him saying that her rich dad, Warner Enterprises, whatever it is, is looking for a new head of the ITD, International Taco Division. So now this guy thinks there's some type of a big corporate job in it for him if he hires Natalie back. And so Joe even says, Ugh, so you warnered your way out of it again, meaning you played up your rich daddy and your money and all that stuff. And she says, I didn't do it for me. I did it for Natalie. So it's like, Ugh. so Beverly Ann comes in and says, I'm sorry, I can't make breakfast for you girls, but I'm meeting Oliver for brunch. It's like, well, seeing him again so soon, you know, you didn't have to call him. You could have nudged him. Anyway. Well, and also, I'm sorry, I can't make breakfast for you grown adult women. <laughs> so true. But it's like, was it she on cooking duty while the others had laundry or whatever? I mean, I guess. So then ding dong at the door. It's Mr. Simmons. You couldn't have made a phone call. You show up in person to Natalie's home. That's crossing a line in a weird way. But he apologizes to Natalie and offers her her job back. And Natalie says, okay. And he says, can you start right away? We've got a break. The breakfast rush is about to happen. Does he say the breakfast at the Mexican restaurant? <laughs> it was like the morning rush. I think he said the morning rush is about to start. It's like, okay. I mean, I go every morning for breakfast down the street to Marina's and have my huevos rancheros, but I don't know. You know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. So Natalie's like, okay, I'll start right away. Let me go grab my coat. And so when she leaves, that leaves Blair alone with Mr. Simmons. And he calls her out. This is a kind of a nice moment where he says, uh, by the way, I made some phone calls and I know there is no ITD at Warner Enterprises. And so Blair is like, oh, well, if you found out I was lying to you, then why are you hiring Natalie back? And he says, she's a good worker and good workers are hard to find. And then he indicates Blair and says, exhibit A. Uh, so good workers are hard to find, but she hired somebody that didn't work out and you fired her in the middle of the rush last night. Sorry, manager, you are a fucking dick and I hate you. And I wish that Natalie had told you to go fuck yourself and get the hell out of my house. There. Just going to say it. I don't know how you gentlemen feel. Uh, again, she runs her own business. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I got my own business to run, bitch. I could start serving tacos in that store myself if I wanted to. <laughs> Jesus. <sighs> so then the final bit of, you know, to tie up this episode, we have Joe going, but Blair, what are you going to do about your job for your class? And Blair says, I already called Far East Island Imports. Far East Island Imports. Sounds a lot like Pier 1 without it being Pier 1. But then Blair says the manager uh, said he'll use me and he's promised me an easy A. So it sounds like it's another, it's a retail job like she has. And then the last word as Blair leaves, she says, sayonara. You're like, oh, Far, Far East Island import. Yeah, that would include Japan too, wouldn't it? So there you go, sayonara. End of the episode. I guess everything is good and right and true. Beverly Ann's got her fella, this new budding relationship. Blair has her job that she needs. 
for her credit and her graduation. And, uh, and Natalie has her shitty job back with her awful manager. So I guess everything is good in the facts of life world. Everything's great. And Paul is like, yeah, everything's, well, yeah, of course you think everything's great because you're like, Natalie can have Mexican food every night for dinner. Absolutely. You get free stuff and you can bring stuff <laughs> home. And yeah, I love that. I love that. I guess you're right. That is kind of a win, isn't it? But I have to say, you know, one, after doing this podcast, two things come to mind. One is I want a taco because I always want a taco. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, if we had to find out about the passing of Betty White at 99, some I've been waiting for this day to happen. You know, I'm always wondering when it's going to happen. I'm really glad that I was here talking with the two of you because there wouldn't be anybody else that, you know, I know how you guys loved her as well and know how important she was in the history of television and mm-hmm. comedy. So I'm just so glad I, you know, I'm glad it happened when I was talking with you both. I, I, oh. I consider you both kindred spirits because we love a lot of the same things and have a lot of the same passions. So even though for almost two years in March, I will be away from Orlando. Um, I've had such a great time getting to hang out with you guys this way. So thanks. Oh, it's always been fun. And my phone has been blowing up through this whole. Oh, me too. I just was trying. It's like all people go, did you hear? Did you hear? Uh, it's like, yes, I heard. I had to turn mine off because it was just driving me nuts. She was mm-hmm. a dear friend and I was her dog sitter back in the 80s. And she sent me a lovely photo of her um, holding her puppies. And it says, Matthew, many thanks for watching. But she forgot to write the dogs on it. So it just says, many thanks for watching. Like I'm just some fan that wrote her a letter and asked <laughs> for an autographed picture. Betty White, she was a bitch. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> on that note paul always a pleasure Uh, a happy peaceful prosperous and healthy new year to you and to your new theatrical venture and uh we're going to be back together in nine weeks whether you like it or not for the facts of life down under oh yes oh yes i love you did you went to paris with us you gotta go down under to australia with us too when they go to fucking when they go to Australia, they get involved with an international jewel heist, for Christ's sake. (laughs) God, these girls can't go anywhere. All right, kids, this has been super fun. Paul, can't wait to get back together and uh, record the next one with you. Until then, smooches and goodbye. Bye, everybody. Bye, David. Bye, Paul. Good night, John boy. (laughs) Rest in power, Betty White. Oh, bless. And there you have it. That was Paul Padilla. I'll post information about his theater company, En Vivo Theatrical, on this episode's webpage. Next week, we're going to be watching Season 8, Episode 10, called Where's Papa? You can watch the show ahead of time for free at dailymotion.com. I will post the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. That is all for now. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. 
please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.